I think I think what happens is people just go, okay, I gotta own Bitcoin, I gotta own whatever because I know people have made a lot of money, so I just gotta go figure out a way to buy those. Well, I gotta own an NFT because I, people have made money, so I gotta figure out a way to buy those. Uh, well, people are making money on land and digital real estate, so I gotta figure out a way to go buy those. Is how much of this is so early speculation where we just you have some money to 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 not only to gamble with or put towards something, learn about it and do it. Versus, no, this is here to stay, and and specifically the digital real estate space. So um, let's take uh, Decentraland, for example, because I think it was uh, J.P. Morgan just announced yesterday that they bought a piece of space in in Decentraland, and they're opening up their little their virtual space uh, office or whatever you want to call it. And um, what's really interesting is that back in 2017, Jamie Dimon, the CEO, was poo-pooing this whole space. And, and today you can go to Decentraland and you can see his picture uh, on the J.P. Morgan space. So what determines value? Uh, in Decentraland, for example, you have a fixed amount of real estate that can be purchased. All right. And it's the same thing of how you could value Bitcoin, right? With Bitcoin, there are only 21 million that can be mined. So what does that relate to? That relates to scarcity. And you can use a valuation method of what we call some have used stock to flow when you look at uh, you know valuing gold or Bitcoin or things like that. And you use a, a scarcity valuation. Well, I think the same thing can be applied here that if there's only a scarce amount that is available, then that does relate to some type of value. And as far as what it's going to look like, but however, it's still speculative, but what that space is going to look like in the future is still unknown. And the best analogy is to the gaming space and, and gamers understand the metaverse really well. They've been living in that space uh, for many, many years. When you uh, take yourself into Fortnite, for example, and you're able to go to a concert in Fortnite, it's um, it's rather similar. So, uh, so it'll be an experience of being able to go into a space, like for example, we're on a platform now that's just two dimensional. In the future, and we've used Zoom and all kinds of things like that during the pandemic, but in the future, I might go to a meeting or we might have this interview where we're, our avatars are sitting across from one another at a table right. and we're having a conversation uh, with people. And this is already, uh, I have already attended a meeting uh, in using my avatar in the virtual world. Uh, it, it's, uh, it'll be an experience. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Leaders of Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Ferraro, and this week we have an amazing guest talking about a topic that everybody's talking about, but not a lot of people are experts or know a lot in, and that's why we have this amazing guest. Renee Lieber, founder and partner at Harmonic Chain, brings over 15 years of experience in tech startup space and is the founder and president of NYU Blockchain. Renee is also a professor teaching entrepreneurship and co-authored courses in cognitive entrepreneurship and blockchain. Renee is an early adopter and investor in the crypto blockchain space and additionally has had experience as an entrepreneur in the mobile technology space as well. So Renee, thank you so much for coming on with us. 
Well, Mike, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So many questions. We just kind of talked before we started about where do we want to go with this? What do we want to talk about? Uh, I think that for so many people, this is just such a big, heady topic where they feel like they're, you know, drinking from a fire hose with all the information that kind of comes in. So why don't we start with where we currently are with the kind of cryptocurrency and blockchain and maybe where this is going to evolve to and what, what you're kind of seeing and what's happening? Yeah, um, sure. I actually like to look at this space as if we're in 1994 Internet. And, uh, you know, you always say that history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And, uh, and for those of us that experience the internet dot com bubble, it's, um, we, we see the same path. And, um, and that's not to say that, um, that this space is, uh, is a huge bubble, although there are certain, um, projects and such that will probably go by the wayside. And, and just like the internet, there will be uh, projects, companies that emerge out of this space that are going to be transformational. And uh, for example, in the internet, we saw the Amazons and the Googles and the Apples of the world, where we're definitely going to see the same types of companies emerge as we move to what is called Web 3.0. And, uh, and a common question is, well, what is Web 3.0? And um, to give you just a brief background on, on the history, so uh, Web 1.0 was where we were able to go to the internet and be able to read, read things. We go to a website, read something. Right. Web 2.0 was when we were able to interact more, right? So not only could we go to a specific website and read, but now we could uh, add content, okay? And, and a lot of the um, most valuable companies today have emerged out of that. And what we see today is we see the, um, the Instagrams and the TikToks of the world, right? Which you're very much... Uh, a space of content creators. Right. Uh, but still all those platforms are what we call centralized. All right. They're, they're owned by a specific company. So really what web 3.0 is moving into the world of decentralization. And that's actually what the early founders of the internet had envisioned. So what does that mean? What that means is, is that now you as a user, content creator, investor can own a part of the network. And that's what owning things like uh, coins or whether it be Bitcoin, Ethereum or owning NFTs or owning uh, a, a piece of some of the new platforms like the Solanas or the Axie Infinities, if you want to go into the gaming world. So that's really what it means. And, um, and there's no doubt that we're moving um, into that uh, space of Web 3.0. And then, of course, everyone's talking about the metaverse. And, um, and that's just really moving from two-dimensional to three-dimensional. 
Right. And uh, and yes, it's definitely going to happen. It's not going to happen overnight, but uh, but we will definitely. We are actually. We're already seeing the path to to where that's going to go. So how does that? So when you're talking about something like the blockchain, right? Um, I think what happens is people can go like, okay, I get Bitcoin. I, I understand store of value in a way like, okay, this is another type of gold. But I think that what people are, are learning now is that, so there's the Bitcoin, the store of value um, that's really created for the job of say, being a currency. Then you have other things like Solana and Ethereum, which is really basically like, a, um, I guess not a blockchain coin, but something that is meant more for that. And I think that, um, People get that, they get, or they can kind of understand that and contextualize that a little bit. But then when you're starting to say like, okay, well, how's this going to actually affect me? In the future, as we go into Web 3.0, and this becomes more something that we're going to live in every single day, are you saying and are you thinking that having everything, uh, contracts be done on blockchain um, and the wallets that we have online with Solana and Ethereum on that stuff. Is that, is that how it's going to eventually become, do you think? And then part two of that question is, well, well, let's do that. And then I have a whole thing that I think I want to segment on, on just. The okay. Yeah, sure. So where we are now is we're still at the early adopter phase and an early adopter phase means that it's really only those that are technologically savvy are, are the ones that are participating in this space right now. Uh, it's still very clunky as far as owning NFTs, having to download MetaMask as a brow, you know, a Chrome browse extender and all of that kind of stuff. And um, and sure, the uh, Gen Z or early adopters, um, developers, uh, people that are tech savvy or early adopters, but it still hasn't hit mainstream. Right. And and, and the reason is because we're not there yet. We're not there yet regarding user experience, user interface. And those are all of the things that are being built right now. So compare it to email. And, you know, no one knows how email works, right? No one really knows HTTP. You don't really need to know that, but you know it works. And the same thing is going to happen here. So you'll be able, it will be seamless to be able to hold a cryptocurrency um, on your wallet uh, or hold an NFT in your wallet. And those, the exciting part is that those are all of the, that's all of the infrastructure that's being built right now right. to make the uh, mainstream adoption much easier. So if you look at the curve, when you look at emerging technologies and mainstream adoption happens on this exponential curve here, but we're still down here. We're still down here in the early adopter phase. Um, and, and of course, what does that mean? It means uh, for investors, of course, uh, it uh, means opportunity. It also means opportunity for those that are building infrastructure. Uh, but also uh, we have yet to be determined those companies, uh, cryptocurrencies, et cetera, that are going to be the ones that end up right up here. Got it. Okay. So if we're looking at, say, 
the early adoption then of the cryptocurrency and the blockchain and having everything kind of just switch over seamlessly as you, you get a group talking about things like I think I think I think what happens is people just go, OK, I got to own Bitcoin. I got to own whatever, because I know people have made a lot of money. So I just got to go figure out a way to buy those. Well, I got to own an NFT because I, people have made money. So I got to figure out a way to buy those. Uh, well, people are making money on land and digital real estate. So I got to figure out a way to go buy those. How much of this is practical where we're saying, you know, you really should be buying these things because this is something that could make you money and you need to invest in this. How much of this is so early speculation where we just, you have some money to, to, to I don't want to say gamble with or put towards something, learn about it and do it versus, no, this is here to stay and, and specifically the digital real estate space. Okay, so, I mean, it is speculation, of course, it's new territory, but the way that you, you have to, first of all, determine value. So I'll take the metaverse and, um, and purchasing real estate in the world of the metaverse. So um, let's take uh, Decentraland, for example, because I think it was uh, JP Morgan just announced yesterday that they bought a piece of space in, in Decentraland and they're opening up their little, their virtual um, space uh, office or whatever you want to call it. And um, what's really interesting is that back in 2017, Jamie Dimon, the CEO, was poo-pooing this whole space. And, and today you can go to Decentraland and you can see his picture uh, on the JP Morgan space. So what determines value? Uh, in Decentraland, for example, you have a fixed amount of real estate that can be purchased, all right? And it's the same thing of how you could value Bitcoin, right? With Bitcoin, there are only 21 million that can be mined. So what does that relate to? That relates to scarcity. And you can use a valuation method of what we call some have used stock to flow when you look at uh, you know valuing gold or Bitcoin or things like that, and you use a, a scarcity valuation. Well, I think the same thing can be applied here that if there's only a scarce amount that is available, then that does relate to some type of value. And as far as what it's going to look like uh, but however, it's still speculative. But what that space is going to look like in the future is still unknown. And the best analogy is to the gaming space. And, and gamers understand the metaverse really well. They've been living in that space uh, for many, many years. When you uh, take yourself into Fortnite, for example, and you're able to go to a concert in Fortnite, it's, um, it's rather similar. So, uh, so it'll be an experience of being able to go into a space, like for example, we're on a platform now that's just two dimensional. In the future, and we've used Zoom and all kinds of things like that during the pandemic, but in the future, I might go to a meeting or we might have this interview where we're, our avatars are sitting across from one another at a table right. and we're having a conversation. And so think about that, or you will be able to go to a party or you'll go to a concert and you'll interact uh, with people. And this is already, uh, I have already attended a meeting uh, in using my avatar in the virtual world. 
uh, it's very early stages of that. But if you want to try to think about the future, that's how you'll think about the future. Uh, it'll be an experience. And, um, and there are uh, designers, for example, purchasing real estate such that they can showcase their, um, whether it be uh, luxury clothing or luxury home goods, uh, and also developing an experience. So it would be cool to be able to go into that uh, 100,000 square foot space and be able to look at artwork, look at luxury clothing, um, you know, experience uh, what a, a hotel might look like in, I don't know, I'm just thinking, you know, in Spain or something like that. Uh, so think of it as an experience and, uh, and a way of uh, experiencing things that before we have the metaverse, you could really only experience in person. Uh, so think about that being transformed to a, uh, to a digital virtual reality world. So, so, okay. So my two things on that would then just be for, you know, just kind of, I'm going down the rabbit holes as we're kind of talking, we're just letting this kind of flow. So let's just say we're using a lot of the same principles, supply and demand, um, interest, location for digital real estate. How does it work with supply and demand? Because it's not a finite. I mean, the earth has a certain amount of land and then that land countries and continents have a certain amount of places you could live. And there's, that's it. There's a, like, there's a certain amount that could be stretched to if you're buying land in the digital universe. Can it just be, can it continue to just create new worlds and there's always a place to go and it's just, they can always build the same thing over again? And Well, okay, you can, for example, so you have Decentraland, there's a fixed amount of real estate that you can purchase in Decentraland. You have Sandbox, there's a fixed amount of real estate that you can purchase in Sandbox. Will there be others that develop? Sure. Which one is going to be uh, the leader, the winner in that space? Are you going to have one? Are you going to have more than one? Um, that's the speculative part. We don't know. We really don't know how that um, space is going to develop. Uh, not unlike, uh, look at Facebook. Before Facebook, there was MySpace and there were various companies going after that type of space. Or actually look at Search. Before Google, there were um, yeah, hundreds of search engines, right? Google just did it better. They executed better, which is why today they own, I don't know, it's like 95% of the market share for search. So, so that we don't know yet. Um, but within, for example, if we just take Decentraland, and if we look at Decentraland, there's a finite amount of real estate that can be purchased. Um, you can compare that to the island of Manhattan, right? There are only a finite number of buildings that can be built on the island of Manhattan. So it's really not all that different. The difference is, is that in the world, we're talking about real. In the land of virtual metaverse, there can be various, there can be various lands, right, that have a finite amount of space. Are we headed down a path where we're we're looking at the human real world where we live being less important 
of how it looks and what it looks like. And eventually down the road, your digital life is going to be more important and more expensive and lavish than your actual physical world. Um, that's a way that's a, I'm talking like way down the road kind of thing, but like, is that, is that something that could, could be where this heads? You know, I personally, my, my personal opinion is that I don't think so. I think they're going to be connected. And if you look at, uh, for example, NFTs today, purchasing uh, digital art. So many people still want to be able to see that art, um, for example, in their office, like my office, I have a piece of art hanging on my wall. And so what's also being produced are the, let's say that the monitors such that I can display that piece of digital art um, in my office, in my home. So I really think that they're going to be connected. Yeah. I don't think that one is going to replace uh, the other. So practically speaking for the average person watching, uh, it's now very clear that uh, Bitcoin is not going anywhere. It's very clear that this digital real estate space is not going anywhere. Uh, NFTs. So it's like you said, uh, I have to use email because I use email. That's how my business works. I don't know how email works, but I know that I press this button and it goes somewhere and it gets to them. So I think that's what's going to be. It's going to be like, well, I know enough that I adopt it. So practically the next couple of years, if you are a person who, because you can either just wait till this becomes something you're forced to do. Like now you have to get a smartphone even though you you didn't want a flip phone, now you had that you had those, and you just people. There's always people out there who like are forced into the new ways of technology because the world's going to pass them by. So you could do that and just do nothing. Or if you're a person who's like, well, how do I get in early, learn about it, and possibly make some money on it or invest in, and do well? What are some of your strategies for becoming more knowledgeable in each one of these spaces, and where do you find the best? Uh, cost reward is in any one of these spaces. Is it, is it is it digital real estate? Is it NFTs? Is it Bitcoin? What do you think? Um, well, again, I, I don't give uh, financial advice, yeah. but I can certainly tell you how I look at the space. Sure. Um, there are certain there are protocols that have been around. Uh, Bitcoin, for example, has now been around for thirteen years. And, uh, and you're right. Uh, I don't, I think we're past the point of people saying, well, it can go to zero. I don't think it's going to zero. Uh, but that being said, it's still an emerging technology. So can you have drawdowns of 50%, 80%? Sure you can. Uh, but you have to be, I think, in my opinion, unless you're a, a day trader, which I'm not, you have to have a long-term view and for a long-term view, that means a minimum of five years. You're talking about five to 10 years. And uh, for my personal opinion, will I think that uh, Bitcoin will increase in value? Yeah, I think so, because also you have a scarcity um, component there. There are only 21 million uh, that will be mined. And you also see that you can, you also see more institutional investors coming into the space holding Bitcoin on their balance sheets uh, for companies like MicroStrategy, et cetera. So if you want to look at the space, my advice is to do your own research. And if you research it that way, then you might decide, well, 
maybe I'll put 1% or 5% of my entire net worth into something that's an emerging technology. But you also have to be able to hold through the drawdowns of 80%. Um, you know, it was back in, what was it, 1994, 95, 96, can't really remember, where Amazon, for example, had the same drawdowns. I remember you could have purchased Amazon stock for $4 back in 95 or 96. And if you look at Amazon, if you look at how their stock, uh, if you look at a chart, you'll it, it was it's very comparable. Also, an emerging uh, technology. So, so that's one way to look at things like Bitcoin or Ethereum. As far as the NFT space, um, that's different. the The technology is uh, very valuable in. What it offers you is digital authenticity. So when you purchase an NFT, whether it be an NFT of a piece of artwork or an NFT of uh, a Nike shoe or a musician, because now we have all kinds of things that are being minted. Uh, the fact that whatever you're purchasing is authentic and it, it's, there's a hash on the blockchain which determines that is valuable. However, as far as artwork, what determines value in the art world? Um, that's determined by, is there a community out there that values that artwork, right? And the same thing as you could say about Picasso or a Monet. There's a community that had determined that that was very valuable art. Well, it's the same thing in the NFT world. So I would recommend people not to buy NFTs necessarily from an investment perspective. I would it, I would buy it because I want to be a part of that community. I think that the artwork is cool. I like it. Um, and then go for it. Uh, you know, whether that artist becomes the next Banksy, who knows? Uh, because, and so that makes it extremely speculative. And so I'm not sure. When I look at NFTs, looking at an NFT as an investment is very low on the totem pole for me. I look at it as community and whether I like the art. And, and so that's whether yeah. uh, I would purchase it. And then in the, land, in the, in the world of uh, the metaverse and digital real estate, I think you look at it from a scarcity issue. So you're betting on whether you think that platform, Decentraland or Sandbox, is going to be the one where most people will go to, right? right? It's the same way that you looked at Facebook. If you're betting on Facebook, that that is going to be the platform where most people will go to. So then that is what we call network effects. Network effects means that the platform becomes more valuable the more people that are, the more users that are on that platform. And, and that goes back to doing valuing companies back in the, the dot-com era. Yeah. And I really don't think it's any different. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, you kind of answered it right there. I mean, on your opinion, thinking, you know, for the average person looking at the technology that's been around probably the longest, it's stayed around and has kind of the value, the Bitcoins, the Ethereums, the stuff that will be the basis for a lot, because you do have to have a wallet and as soon as you talk to people about what a wallet is and then how to like put money into wallets where you can actually buy nfts and go to digital real estate 
even that process for people is very difficult for them to understand. And they can't go to a bank and say, oh, can you do this for me? They don't understand. It's not a thing. So they end up having to kind of give up on a lot of that stuff. And if you do want to buy something or you do want to, whether it's digital real estate or, or a piece of NFT, you're buying it with Ethereum or Solana or something like that. So it goes back to if you have a lot of the coins, you can do a lot more buying. Because even if you wanted to buy this NFT, you still got to transfer, you got to put your fiat currency into. So it's like you absolutely should be putting money first and foremost into these coins. And the top coins are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Those are the top two right now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a first step. Um, as I said, we're still at the early adopter stage. But you'll find down the line, you'll find that um, you'll be able to hold Bitcoin, for example, in your Chase Manhattan uh, bank account right. uh, because all of those solutions are now being built uh, for the banks to be able to hold digital assets uh, and transfer digital assets for you. Well, we're not there yet, but um, so that's what makes if you... Uh, when you look at this space, of course, um, if you're an early investor, uh, that potentially that's potentially where the upside could come from, right? And um, so, so what I say is, do your own research. There's tons of stuff you can read online. the The best places are Medium. If you just Google cryptocurrency, there's tons of, of really good content that comes up. Or uh, go on Twitter, Fin Twitter. Uh, there's lots of good um, information that also comes up, and uh, and educate yourself. I mean, because that's really the way you have to do it today. Sure. Because, as I said, we're still back in 1994. Right. Exactly. So, is it safe to say that we might be going into a place where the dollar if you're saying that banks, eventually you're going to be able to get a Bitcoin or an Ethereum or something to be held onto your, your bank wallet, like a Wells Fargo will have my bank account plus my amount of cryptocurrency, for example. Is it safe to say that, because I always thought that the, the, bit, the digital currency was a hedge on inflation or it was something that was going to mess up the central banks and kind of remove the the banking system the way we know it or are you saying that there's a chance that it's not going to hurt the banking system it's just going to basically be another be placed onto in the way that the regular banks work and then they'll adopt the, the blockchain into the bitcoins and then do you think that there could be a way that the fiat currency is going to get pushed out and eventually become if you, because if they if they have the ability for you to get bitcoin ethereum onto your wallet that's on your phone right now from wells fargo that i have my bank account how far away of it is it basically to, to get rid of the fiat and just make it all Bitcoin cryptocurrency at that point? Like, yeah, uh, well, of course, there are different views uh, of what the future is going to look like. Um, my particular view is that these um, currencies will run in parallel. So uh, I, I believe that we'll have a digital dollar. Uh, there's lots of research going on uh, regarding that. There are already countries that have digitized their fiat currency. Uh, one is China was one of the first, as well as we have a, a 
a few other countries that are already have digitized or or they're in a beta stage of digitizing. Uh, so uh, my opinion is that there's no question that we'll have a digitized USD. So um, and there are lots of, uh, there's a great value proposition to that because right now our legacy infrastructure is very old and we have things like, it's not so easy if you want to send money, uh, I guess remittances is one of the biggest problems that we have. If you want to send money to, um, let's say you have family in El Salvador, you work here in the United States, you want to send money back to your um, family, your mother, et cetera, in El Salvador, uh, you have to go through middlemen to do that. Let's say you want to send $100 and those middlemen, whether it be uh, MoneyGram, Western Union, extract a fee. So one of the problems that cryptocurrencies right now are solving is uh, the transfer of value cross-border instant without having a settlement of two days, three days a week, uh, and at a very low or close to zero transaction fee. That's, that's a big problem in the world. Uh, Try to send money to India, for example. You want to pay, uh, I had uh, someone uh, make me a jacket in India and I had to pay him. And I tried to do it through Chase Bank and it was nearly impossible to send, right, to send a small amount. It was, you know, a couple hundred dollars. It was nearly impossible. And it, uh, so that's a problem. And, uh, and so that's what, a lot of the solutions, uh, a lot of the solutions today that are, for example, uh, the Lightning Network or Strike that's built on top of Lightning, which is built on top of the Bitcoin uh, mother chain, are going after solutions like that to be able to transfer money cross-border instant and at very low transaction fee. Um, so that's one example. And, and I really, and I think that the the big value proposition is to have an alternative to have an alternative you think about countries where their uh where their fiat currency has been devalued you can look at venezuela argentina turkey uh and what if they had an alternative to be able to put their money in something else that's not controlled by the central bank right. So, um, so I think that's where the value is going to be. And I don't really think cryptocurrencies, whether you want to talk about Bitcoin or, or another a cryptocurrency that may come about is going to replace, but I do think they're going to run in parallel as an alternative. Got it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Is there anything that's super important now that's topical right now that we should talk about or that you want to add before we go? Yeah. Um, I guess my parting comments would be uh, to pay attention, pay attention to what's happening because uh, in one of, uh, I think I read one uh, investor, one institutional investor uh, coins it as we're in the exponential age. In, and what that means is, is that things are moving at a very fast pace. Right. And I think the pandemic uh, was the, uh, the accelerator and um, and I think that you're going to see us moving faster than we've ever moved before. So um, 
So uh, again, educate yourself. Just read about what's happening in the space, uh, the things that are being developed. Be careful. There are lots of scams out there, just like in the beginnings of the internet. There are lots of scams. So be very, very careful. Um, be careful how you purchase cryptocurrency, how you hold cryptocurrency. There are lots of um, uh, things that are happening like SIM swaps, right? Or people wanting to get a hold of your cryptocurrency that you might hold on your phone, uh, things like that. So educate yourself, be careful out there. Uh, but it's probably one of the most exciting times I've ever seen, certainly in my whole professional career. Awesome. Renee, where can people either find out more about you or where would you send people to go and, and learn a little bit more about the system in general? Yeah, um, sure. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Renee Liebler. Uh, or you can uh, go to our website, uh, www.harmonicchain.com. And if you want to get a hold of me, it's simply Renee at harmonicchain.com. And uh, so happy to happy to come back, happy to answer any more questions. And uh, yeah, maybe next time we'll concentrate on yeah. one space. We're going to see how the results come from, from this and see where people what the comments are like and where people are most interested to kind of talk about now and who knows by the time that we do that is everything moves so fast maybe it'll be something else that just popped up but renee i want to thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure i'll always love speaking to you and uh, i think we're going to get a lot from this and I, I hope you can come on again soon yeah but it'd be my pleasure and thanks for having me all right renee take care and everybody else leaders of lifestyle podcast thank you so much for watching till next time take care <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,